everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Carnival Row. Today we'll be covering the first episode from Amazon Prime's TV series titled Some Dark God Wakes. This is, hey, is this our first Prime show? It is, show? yeah. Yeah, we've done wow. a Hulu. We've done this will be our first Prime, and the rest have been Netflix. So we're kind of expanding our uh, our streaming service shows. That's that. That's what we do here. We we cover it all, cover it all. This is exciting. I'm I'm really excited to talk about this one. This was um, one that we picked up and heard about from Comic Con, right? Yep, it was so. a Comic Con one. I I was really kind of it sparked my fancy because it's just kind of that, um, <laughs> you know, your fancy, yeah, kind of that fancy <laughs> or not fancy. It's kind of fantasy <laughs> slash, you know, bringing it into realism. Um, so it really got me excited. So I'm pretty pumped to talk about it. Yeah, I'm really excited too. And with that being said, that's a great opener to lead us into our top five. I'll go ahead and get it started this week with the opener. Um, I really liked the opener that they started off here. They tried to give us a little bit of a history of the fantasy world, you know, kind of plucked us and just dropped us in like, you know, we get a little bit, but you still don't quite know what's going on, right? You're kind of like, you know, okay, so um, there's some some fae folks, some, you know, what you hear like in fairy tales and stuff, and then they take us straight to this, you know, um, really sad kind of scene where these fairies, which maybe at the time you don't know they are because they're running, right? I mean, if you think of fairies, you're thinking they're flying, but you see that there's barbed wire, you know, and these corpses kind of scattered around along the um, the net of this barbed wire, which was really sad to see. And these people are being hunted down. They're being hunted down like animals, you mm-hmm. know, chased by these dog-like creatures. And, you know, they can't fly because you're at first you're like, well, why don't they fly? And then I had to remember, oh, yeah, because there's like barbed wire right above them. They probably, you know, the ones that do try to fly just get caught up in this, this net of, of barbed wire. And I'm thinking, how long did that take to set up? But anyway... Beside the point. So, you know, we learned here in the beginning that the land of the Fae has had many wars fighting for their land. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, if there's already people living there, why are other people fighting over it? Does anyone even care about the people that are already inhabiting the land? Guess not. Um, that's really sad to think that, you know, these probably peace-loving people, you know, have these foreigners come attack their lands because their land happens to have something valuable. They don't say what is there on the land. They just say that, you know, there were um, people fighting over the riches of the land. So I don't know what exactly is there um, that they're fighting over. Maybe we'll learn that. But um, clearly they've been left to a really terrible fate, of you know, at the hands of their their enemy that called the pact. So I really liked how this was all set up. I thought it was well done setting in the woods. And I really liked when like vignette and she jumps off the cliff and then spreads her wings. And I thought just all of that was beautifully done as far as like the cinematography and just the setting itself and just kind of a nice opener to pluck us into this unknown world that we haven't 
like been exposed to yet. So what did you think about the opener when it, when it started? I enjoy So I'm a big fan of more showing than telling. So they, they kind of give yeah. you a good like minute of here's some little dialogue of like what kind of happened before and they throw yep. you into it and they kind of make you just kind of learn as you go. Cause very like very often in shows like this, you would have gotten like four episodes dedicated to this past event and lots of dialogue kind of like guiding the audience along instead of just kind of, you know, dropping hints here and there about what happened, you know, and you'll, and you'll learn about this whole thing throughout the season. I'm sure. Cause like you said, there was some war between the pact and the Berg, and the, the Berg teamed up with the Fae. Um, and mm-hmm. cause we get a really interesting political uh, aspect to this where the, the house, yeah. the parliament group, they're fighting over this one, one party, you know, wanted to do something and that caused them the war supposedly, but the other ones don't, you know, want the Faye to come in, but the other ones do. And mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of an interesting take there, but, uh, you know, my number five, this kind of ties into a little bit was the setting itself. Yeah. I'm a huge, huge fan of whenever you take, uh, you know, kind of fantasy or any kind of, uh, you know, odd thing and you put like a modern twist on it uh you know this one because like i'm a big fan of like D and uh pathfinder and stuff like that and there's a a new game yeah. called starfinder which is like D D, but in space Ooh. and Ooh. so i really enjoy that kind of stuff like with magic and all that kind of stuff and there's another one called uh it's gonna slip my mind and i'm gonna lose nerd cred um <laughs> oh, it's okay pressure's on oh, sean <laughs> there's another one that's very much like uh oh it's, sh- it's called shadow run and Similar idea, like you're in modern times, but magic has come back and people are actually like part elves and things like that. When this magic comes back, everybody turns into those kinds of creatures. Oh, but, interesting. Yeah, but there's like computers, there's guns, there's tanks. And, you know, it's like a role playing game. It's fantasy, but it's set in a modern uh, kind of universe. And that's what they have here. I do like that it's more of a, you know, uh, 19-teens, 1920s kind of timeline, like very much yeah. when I was looking at this, this felt very post-World War One, mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I like, you know, we don't know much about the pact, uh, but we know that they're taking over that land. But yeah, just again, back to the setting itself. I love the kind of grunginess of it. I love, you know, we're getting a little bit of the properness still. So it seems kind of like a British kind of, you know, there's definitely yeah. a hierarchy here. Um, the Carnival Row itself, um, I thought was really cool. It kind of has that, you know, slightly bad part of town kind of feel, but you know, it, it, again, it's very much kind of playing on, um, you know, the immigrant type situations during that time frame. you know, th- uh, the Irish and all kinds of other ones coming into America mm-hmm. and stuff like that, even though this seems to take place more in everybody speaking, it sounds like Irish or British kind of accents, but, uh, I, it got me excited for it for sure. Like I definitely do feel like this setting is going to offer a lot of cool aspects to it. Um, I, Agree. Yeah, it definitely had like this Victorian feel, uh, steampunk. Yeah, yeah, steampunk's a good way to put um, it. And and fantasy. You could feel like it was also like on the verge of this industrial Mm kind of time coming in, you know, a little bit too. Um, so I, I love all of that. I thought it was great. And then like throwing in some, you know, the fantasy world with it, with these, these fantasy creatures, I thought was kind of fun too. So I like that too. The whole, just this world that they're building up for us. And I thought it was a really great introduction. This first episode, we really got, you really felt immersed, you know, when you're, when, when you're down in carnival row and walking, walking the row, as they call it in the show, um, you could really see the detail 
I mean, you could see the iron rivets on, um, oh, what are the pillars that like, um, uh, the the train. Oh yeah, for, they held uh-huh. up the train tracks. You could see these iron rivets, and the just the detail was amazing. And I think I even read a little snippet of an interview with with um, Cara Delevingne, and I'm probably butchering her last name because I suck at names. You guys know that, but anyway, um, the actress that plays Vignette, uh, where she talked about how it was so amazing just walking on the set. Like they built these sets. Yeah. This isn't all like CGI stuff. I'm sure there is CGI, but like the sets and stuff, it's like real. And she can walk around like when you're, you know, down the row, when people are selling their goods, you know, uh, she's like, you can just, you would just walk down the row and you you pick up these trinkets and all of it is so real. And, and, you know, so I love the detail that went into it. I think it's a richly built world that, um, I'm digging it, so I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, this one's very exciting because it's going to be one that's going to spawn so many different kind of you know fan fiction or fan like you know like mm-hmm. you go to a, like a Star Wars you know fan wiki and it's there's just as much content there as the movies and the shows have done. But you know you're going to get that from here, which I really enjoy the setting. I think it's got a lot of potential. I agree. And I guess I'll say, I mean, I'm digging this show so far, but I'll probably wait until the season is over until we've finished it just to make sure. But you know what? I could totally, I would totally dig dressing up as Vignette, either as cosplay Uh or just for Halloween, because that jacket of hers is the sweetest damn thing I've seen in a while in costume. They, they, speaking of the world building and just the set design and the cinematography, the, the costuming is, oh, for is sure, yeah. fantastic and it's, it's whimsical and it's fun. I love that jacket that she wears. Um, you know, uh, I, I think she just looks great. I love her braids. I, I think she looks great and she can pull off that pixie cut. I cannot do a pixie cut. I don't even think I could yeah, pull up, you I'm- know, that's the thing. I'm not a short hair guy, so I'm yeah. guessing that's what a pixie cut is, is her haircut, right? Yeah. Okay. That's it, like that sweet 90s pixie cut that was really popular um, yeah, in the 90s that, you know, it's, it looks great on some girls. And I, I don't mind short hair on, you know, it's fine. And I've done short hair, not quite um, pixie cut. I had like more of a, oh, this is going to age me. <laughs> um, I don't know if you saw it, Sean. Maybe you did in reruns or maybe you're old enough to remember Dharma and Greg. Uh-uh. Doesn't sound don't familiar. Remember. Oh no. God! Now you are making me feel <laughs> old. But you know who Jenna Elfman? Well, you don't watch Fear. Do you watch Fear? I don't watch Fear. Fear no, Dead? I've seen the first. Oh season. shit! Well, do you know who Jenna Elfman is? Let me look for a picture. That's okay. Is anyway, it? if oh, yeah. anyone out there remembers Dharma and Greg, I had the Dharma haircut at one time so i went that short but not quite like a pixie and i probably shouldn't have even had that haircut but anyway i could totally dig dressing up as vignette just for the clothes because um that jacket i gotta have that i want to steal that off the set um it's probably too too small for me but anyway i'm i'm digging all that that's a great number five do you have anything else? No, it tidies it up. That? Like I said, lots of potential here for the Berg. So what's uh, what's Heck your number yeah. four? My number four, I want to talk about Philo. Okay. As they call him. Um, I have to say, I was not upset by the casting choice of Orlando Bloom. I think it's a good um, fit. As, <laughs> as the main lead. He's a really, I think he's really grown as an actor. I mean, I remember seeing him, I, I guess the first time I ever saw him, if he was in anything before that, I was unaware. And shame on me. Uh, but Lord of the Rings, of course, as Legolas. And yeehaw. And then, of course, I 
totally got swept up with all the uh, young girls of the age with Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, you know, him and Johnny Depp was that was my dream team. I was totally swept away with Johnny Depp and Orlando Bloom and Pirates of the Caribbean. So I'm a fan for life of, of whatever Orlando Bloom chooses to do. So good casting choice. Totally thought he is fantastic as his character. But speaking of his character, I really like he's. I think a little bit complicated and a little bit mysterious. He's sympathetic to the Fae and he really seems to have a good heart and care about, you know, all of the immigrants coming in uh, to the Berg. And you can tell he's well liked, you know, when he's walking down Carnival Row and, you know, people are, you know, saying hello to him and they they know that he's kind. And uh, when he goes to, interview uh the the woman that was attacked you know he the um you know her friend says it's okay he's one of the good guys you know and so he seems to be really well liked and well known and respected and so i think that's cool um but he's also got a little bit of a mysterious side to him as well we know that he was in the war um at a noon whenever he you know we we hear about this backstory with him and vignette which i'm sure we'll go into more um but he's kind of mysterious about it and you know he doesn't give too much away and i really like i like i said i think he's really come into his own as far as acting and i think he's doing a really good job because i think it's a really good show but i think there's just a little bit of not so great acting by a few few people which i won't call anyone out or anything like that but um he really helps bring a really great balance i think to that and i'm curious um what you think the double scars are on his back oh well so there's times <laughs> so this is my number two is philo's secret oh okay okay so, well we can wait if you want no i'll do it now because we were talking about him and and like when i saw it and you know, I figured it was something at the war. I'm like, okay, we're going to find out something about this. And, you know, this is one of those things, like, I'm going to say it. I'm going to be like, oh, my God, I'm the smartest guy in life. But, you know, everybody <laughs> yeah. else is thinking the exact same thing. Right. So, you know, it, it might be a little too cliche. You know, he's sympathetic to, you know, the creatures. He's sympathetic to the Fae. Mm-hmm. My guess is that he's probably like a half pixie, like a half Fae. And okay. so he's had his wings removed to hide that. Okay. Uh, maybe he came from that land and came over. I'm not sure. And like he just kind of won his way into the you know, the berg as it is. But mm-hmm. um, that that's kind of like that's why I wonder too. Is like you saw the double scars. It seems where wings would be. He's very sympathetic to him. So yep. my get my guess, if I had to say, would be that he's probably like half fay. Well, that's. I don't think you're, and we could be wrong, but I don't think you're far fetched with that theory because that's where I was thinking too. I was like, well. Those scars look exactly where you would like see or where you would think there to be wings, you know, from a fairy um, or maybe some other creature that we don't know about yet. I feel like we haven't been Mm -hmm. fully – I mean, we're only in the first episode. I I doubt that we've been introduced to all of the fae folk. And and they they seem to say in this show fae folk is all of the different creatures. You know, there's fairies and then there's fens and, you know, there's, you know, others. But – um. Fay folk just tend to kind of lump them all together. But anyway, was if it, he's some I, other... I understood it as Fay was just fairy because they called them pixies, but they had a different name for the creatures. Um, 
I could be so wrong. So I have it in here. I, I took some notes. I was doing some online. There's lots of backstory stuff to help kind of get you because some folks I know kind of went into this and were just really confused. They felt it was hard to follow. And I, I just want to encourage folks. I know that there's a lot here. There is a lot of the fantasy stuff here, but you can kind of just take that out and just think of the characters and think of the human element part of it and not worry too much about like the fantasy stuff. But what they say uh, from what I read, a fae is everyone who is not a human in this universe is referred to as a creature or less kindly critch. We hear that a lot um, in this first episode, critch. Um, So you'll hear a number of non-human slurs on Carnival Row as it grapples with its central allegory of immigration and the refugee crisis. The fae folk or fairies, oh, maybe you're right, maybe the fae folk they call fairies or fae is not human. They say are pretty recognizable for anyone with a passing familiarity with fantasy. Wings, ethereal beauty, you know how it goes. Um, You may also hear them called picks. And then there's fawns. The fawns are... Uh, you'll hear them also called um, creatures or critch, and then the more vulgar puck. Um, the goat-legged, horn-headed folk are, with a few exceptions, of the serving class. Hmm. Yeah, interesting for sure. And yeah, yeah, I think because I think I said something about fae, and I was like, "Is that fairies?" And I got yelled at because it's like, "Of course, that's fairies." I'm like, "I don't know." Like it's. Give me a break. It's all fantasy. Yeah. Well, we're learning. Yeah, it's fantasy. But anyway, um, but yeah, I don't think you're I don't think you're far off from that because I was thinking the same thing. Because then he also when he got back from that fight, it was kind of towards the end and he his landladies in his bedroom. Um Yeah, that's ready where to, yeah, that's where it kind of got me thinking because he's like, No doctors. Right. He's so adamant about no doctors that it's like, okay, so you've got these mysterious scars on your back that look you know, very, you know, um, like where wings could have been and also very adamant about no doctors. So I'm curious about what else is it about, you know, the Fae that a doctor would pick up on? Yeah. What, is, what else is it besides your wings, if you have wings, that make you stand apart or something? I mean, well, he was bleeding red, so I guess they don't have, if he was, I mean, you know, had a different like type of like color blood or something, he... You know, that didn't seem to be an indication because he was bleeding red. Um, And maybe that's not a thing. I don't know. Well, apparently he's got some magical touch, too, because she's always (laughs) willing and able to save him dinner after seven. Clearly states in the rules, dinner's from six to seven, and she's willing to break those rules. Well, I'd keep his plate warm. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm like, I want to go there because dinner's always warm. and. Apparently, your birthday doesn't have to be your birthday. That's right. (laughs) Anyway, that's my number four is our main lead, Philo. I think he's very interesting. Look forward to um, peeling um, that mysterious veil he has. And, uh, of course, always pleasant to look at um, Orlando Bloom. So what's your number four? My number four, uh, as I kind of stated, is just this dialogue seems to kind of be like a play. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, and I, you said it was kind of some bad acting, so I wonder if it's just how the dialogue's written is more in that. Because plays are very over the top. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the shows we watch, they're a little bit more down to earth, more realistic. So like whenever you have more of a, a stage play type thing, it's very much like, you know, Shakespearean and like a lot of overacting and things like that. Cause, but You're you right. know, like when they talked about like the guy who's on there, he's talking about the dark beneath our feet, some dark God wakes and then he jumps off. 
That was I liked great. that. Oh, was, I liked that oh, little yeah. speech. Yeah. There's the the little interaction between him and the captain where he's like, justice is justice. He's like, you can't save them all. He's like, damn it, I can save one. It was pretty good, too. Um, yeah. I like it. Uh, what else? There's a couple other ones that were pretty good. Um, you know, and this really wasn't the, the – di- I can't remember the exact dialogue, but when he was talking – she was talking about, um, you know, they didn't let them out of the boat when it was sinking. You know, they left them there and – he, you know, the, the cop said, well, you know, you just fly to the shore and or you'd wing to the shore, I think he said. And like you're worth not, you're worth less to them if you know they can't bring you here. Mm-hmm. So it kind of shows like this very much like they're saving these people from their homeland, but they're putting them into this indentured servitude, uh, yeah. which was very much a thing like in these teens, you know, 20s kind of time frame where, you know, people would go into this indentured servitude and a lot of times – and it was essentially like slavery because they set it up to where it's like, well, I mean, yeah, you can live here and we'll pay you so much. And after 10 years, you'll get your freedom. But, you know, you got to pay us for housing. You got to pay us for the food. And by the time you work all that stuff off, you don't have enough to get yourself out, which um, is right. just horrible kind of situations, of course. But that's really what they're playing on here, I think. But yeah, but back to my number four is just essentially that the, the dialogue from this, I feel, is like a play. Um, and You're right. That's a I, good point. I like it too because it's kind of that dark play, kind of you know macabre kind of play. Uh, so I really dig that kind of stuff. But uh, but yeah, that's my number four. What do you think? I totally agree. That's a really good point. I guess I didn't think of it so much as like you know dialogue from a play. Um, but yeah, I I just sitting here kind of playing some of that in my head. I dig it. Yeah. And I'm like you, I, Hey, it's a little dark and I like that. I don't tell you people listening, you know, I go on and on about that all the time. That's always what I lean towards is a little bit of the dark stuff. So I, I like it. Um, and that brings a whole new perspective now on how I look at it. So I, I like, I like that. There is some good dialogue, really good lines, and I did like that speech by that sailor there at the end before he jumped. I thought that was it was just kind of poetic. Mm-hmm. There's there's some you know a, a few poetic lines, which is nice. I liked the line, which I guess I'll go ahead into because it's kind of my number three is vignette herself. Um, that line that she gives to Philo there when she finally confronts him and she's got a knife to his throat and she, Oh, that, and I don't have it in my notes. I didn't like write it down, but the, when she talks about how, cause he's like, I'm sorry that I hurt you. And I'm just going to paraphrase cause I know I'm not going to get it right. But she's like, you know, hurt me. And she's like, you know, you destroyed me. And, you know, I know that I've, I've read some comments. People aren't thrilled with with Cara Delvine's um, acting. I don't think she's that terrible in this. I honestly, I haven't seen her in anything else. But people were comparing her to some other movies that she's been in, and I haven't seen her in anything else. I don't have anything to compare it to. I think she's beautiful. I think she's doing an okay job in this. Um, her well, Irish accent might need a little <laughs> bit of work. Well, it's not as bad but, as uh, you know some other loved actor from The Walking Dead. Whose Irish accent is horrible. This is true. This but is very true. I thought but, you were gonna say the line that really got me, which was like, like that's something that should be like in a you know, probably a Taylor Swift song was. We told each other everything. Why not goodbye? Yeah. I mean, I, and that might be a little bit off, but when she said that, I was just like, mm-hmm. oh god, like Orlando Bloom, rip your heart out of your chest, man. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah, she I felt that. Like I said, I know some folks are having complaints about that. And, uh, you know, 
whatever. It's it's difficult when you have sometimes when you have like really good actors like Orlando Bloom, they kind of, you know, point out the the like shortcomings of others that are, you know, maybe not up to the same level. Not that she's I don't think she's that terrible or anything like that, but sometimes it's pretty hard. Sometimes great actors bring out the best in other actors and other times it just kind of puts a spotlight on, you know, on someone who's not as great um, of an actor. So maybe that's kind of what's happening here. But I, I'm liking her so far. And I really felt that I felt that when she was like, you destroyed me. Cause I'm like, hell yeah, girl, <laughs> you tell him because who hasn't had their damn heart broken. And, you know, just that girl wore a freaking widow's braid for seven yeah. years. They, they weren't even that's married or anything. She mourned him for seven years. They, I don't know how long their love affair was when he was there in Anun fighting the war when they met. So I don't know how long that they had during that time. I'm guessing we'll probably find out. But however long it was, that did mean something to her. I'm guessing it probably meant something to him as well. Um, seems like he's moved on maybe a little bit more than what she has, but... Yeah. I'm like, dude, she mourned your ass for seven years and wore a widow's braid and you left without a freaking goodbye. I thought, because I thought, well, did he die in her arms? No, he supposedly died in someone else's arms and mm-hmm. this person lied for him. And now she finds out after all this time he's alive. I I would have put a damn knife to his throat too. <laughs> My but, guess is it's going to be the situation where he did it to keep her safe. That's just maybe. the gist I'm getting. It's possible. Yeah, we don't know why yet. Um you know, that he, he had this person, uh, you know, lie for him or whatever. So, you know, I'm sure we'll find out. I'm guessing he had a reason for it, but I, I like the introduction to her character. I like that she was a fighter. I like that she was trying to do what she could to help her people. You know, she felt like she wasn't doing enough, but I think under the circumstances, she was trying to do what she could using her skill set in helping her people. And, you know, yes, she was getting paid to, you know, um, collect people and get them on these ships and get them to the Berg. And they're in, if they couldn't pay, then yes, they do go into indentured servitude, um, trying to at least give them a chance at a better life. Um, by getting them out of there because they were all being just shot and killed. The group that she was with when they're in the beginning, when they're running to the boat, that was all women and children. Well, the way uh, she explained it too, when she uh, was basically found out that the pact had these camps of just women and girls. It sounded like a concentration camp of some sort or something, right? Yeah. yeah, And basically it sounds like whenever the way they felt like they were looting when it's women and girls, like that was something that was used probably, for things pretty terrible. And, you know, when she found them escaped, she was trying to save them and they all died, which, you know, again, just, you know, as horrible as that was, she had to leave everything behind because that's, that's all she could do. Cause she couldn't go back because of basically the situation that she found herself in then too. Right. Yeah. There's, it seems like nothing. I don't blame her for leaving. I know if she has this guilt, you know, not only that she wasn't doing enough, but then leaving when she did, you know, she she got on the boat that was meant for them, and they're all dead. You know, being killed 
by the the pact and then she gets on this boat meant for them and then when she does then that boat ends up sinking and she's the lone survivor and so i i totally get where she's feeling with with all of this guilt but i I feel like she's a fighter she's got a good heart and um she's a survivor so i i'm digging her so far and um i don't have any complaints yet and again she's Got a great costume. Even her, her, um, you know, lady in waiting or maid costume um, isn't that bad. So I'm digging her. That's my number three vignette. I like it. Uh, my number three. I really in, uh, am a fan of getting like when the show starts off. The first thing they're telling you about is there's a serial. I don't know if he he killed some people, but basically a serial abuser mm-hmm. of you know the crits and. You know, nobody cares about it because it's like these are just carnival row people. Like, who cares? And One less find, to deal with, right? Exactly. Yeah. But you have Philo who really cares about it. And to me, when you're watching this, you're like, okay, this is going to be the entire first season is finding this killer. Yep. So the key vil- – like, basically the way it's, I'm wording this is the key villain is not the villain. You uh-huh. know, we get this episode, we find this guy, it's, you know, a nice little procedural, you know, Philo finds out like all these guys, these sailors come in every three weeks and it's like three weeks, wait a second. All right. Everything's lined up. Let me find out who it is. Mm-hmm. And again, like you see this happening in the bar, he finds out who it is and I'm like, okay, well, we found out who the bad guy is. This obviously is going to take up the whole season, right? Nope. Very end, he gets his little spiel, jumps off the edge of the building, and that is that. You're right. Your guy who you thought was a bad guy isn't going to be the bad guy for the season, but you're going to get exposed to what probably is the big bad, the the dark underneath the feet of the Berg, and mm-hmm. uh, you know it was just uh, you know it it kind of goes to some of the stuff where you found it too. Like I really like seeing him Scooby Doo through it too. You know he's in the bar. Oh he, yeah. <laughs> He pretends he gets his to, licks. <laughs> yeah, he pretends to be drunk. You know, he's flopping over and he finds the guy, lifts up his shirt, sees his, or lifts up his, uh, the shirt on his arm, finds the snake tattoo, and he knows that he knows that he knows that he's the killer. <laughs> uh, and so we get a nice little run. Um, I did enjoy the, the opposite building chase. Oh, I thought yeah, that was kind of cool. Good. But again, I like that they kind of surprised me very early on because again like Mm -hmm. as somebody who's watched a lot of tv you kind of like okay here's the tropes that are going to happen and when you get something that kind of changes it you're like oh predictable yeah Yeah. you're like okay that was surprising let's see what happens here so uh my number three is just our key villain is not the villain i like that i'm i'm right on board with that because when it started out okay so he's looking for this villain like you said this and it's interesting how they kind of seem to model him a little bit after Jack the Ripper. Yeah, Did you uh-huh. get, pick yep. up on I that too? So, that too, yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, so we got this Jack the Ripper type, you know, villain killer, um, assailant. And I thought, oh no, is this what we're going to do the whole season? Mm-hmm. Is this what the whole season's going to be is looking for this? I thought this is going to be kind of tired, but like you said, gets wiped out this first episode and I, I was like, okay, good. Now we can, you know, we've got that kind of out of the way. It made for an interesting episode, you know, kind of how he was able to deduce who it was. You know, he's he's on the trail of this fellow policeman um, and then ends up coming up with this theory that it's a sailor. And I love how 
he just kind of stumbles upon it by accident again with the fighting and he gets the, the, the guy throws a hammer at his face, yeah. you know, and it's like, I like that. He's not just this perfect fighter or this perfect, you know, can just swoop in and handcuff the guy and off he goes, you know, he had to work for it. And so I, I like that. He took his licks. He definitely got, you know, uh, beaten up and he, er- he definitely earned that for sure. But, um, I like it. I like that it was just wrapped up, and and now we're kind of getting into more of a deeper story. Like you said, now we've got this big bad that I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, I did like that. That was a nice little um, end, you know, introduction and end to a piece of that story. So that was good. We are in agreement. So my number two, we've talked about, I don't know how much more I can really talk about because we, we have kind of already talked a little bit about it, but I wanted to talk about the Berg itself, um, I guess, and just like the environment. Um, the Berg, we come to learn, it's a city torn, and we get a little bit of that, as you mentioned, and um, it looks like this parliament-style um, political system, uh, which I don't understand. I Have you ever watched parliament on TV and you know, how they, it's like their Congress, right? So I've heard a lot of people that talk about it. It's like, it's a lot more entertaining than ours because people legit do that. They just yell at each other all day. Right. So, and I, I mean, I don't quite understand it. And maybe it's because you're so used to this boring C-SPAN Congress session, you know, and people are just standing up at the podium and just, and puts me to sleep. And, um, so, so I, I've tried to watch, some things on parliament and you know i'm, I'm confused about how it works because look i'm not a political i i don't i can't get into the deep details of politics people i cannot get into the, the to a deep dive i know who i like and i know who i don't and i know what i stand for and what i don't but that's about it so I, you know i thought it was interesting though i like how they do get up and yell at each other and they're basically you know they'll get up and call each other out on their bullshit um so i do totally appreciate that so we get a little bit of backstory about the Berg that, you know, it's a city torn because of these Fey refugees that are seeking a safe place to live. And the reason that they have to leave their homeland is because the people from the Berg pulled out and left them to their enemies, the Pact. You know, they're in this war and then they just decide, oh, we're done. And they go on and pack up and move home. Oh, sorry, fairies and all of you Fey folk. Um, you're just left in the dirt. And so now their home is now hell. Um, and there's a city torn. And it was interesting to see how the politics kind of came into play because the the minority currently um, are the ones that w- what pulled them out. Um, and now they're in the minority. And then the majority were the ones that went for the war and tried to win it. Um, but now they're also the ones um, sympathetic to the Fae. So that's why I guess they're able, like they're allowing the immigrants to come in because, you know, it's like, well, it's our fault that you're having to flee your land. (laughs) So, um, but the city, you can see the the citizens are pretty torn. Some, you know, don't, don't like it. They see as like they're taking their jobs or they think that they're dirty. They're the lowliest of the low, um, you know, and they're not very well respected. And, and then you have people who are sympathetic. So it's a really, you can see, I feel like it does a good job of like setting up this tension. Um, so I feel like that's probably going to build throughout and, and play, um, play out a lot during the season, I think. But I think that they really did a, a great job. And 
I think there were some parallels. I, I do not want to go into a lot of current events with what's happening, but I do see a lot of parallels to what's happening today when they're talking about wanting to just, you know, we don't want these people here and they need to go back home. Yeah, they need to I, go back to their homes. So and that's, you know, you definitely see how this is set up during this, like, you know, like you said, re- you know, industrial revolution time period and the same things was happening mm-hmm. then with the Irish and, you know, a lot right. of people like that coming over. It's, it's always kind of been a, and, and all over too. I mean, not just, you know, you could say this very much talks about America, but, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that like even in Britain and places like that, whenever they started bringing in outsiders, there's a lot of pushback on it. So it's, it's definitely a tale that's been told throughout the history of the world where, you know, outsiders coming in is, you know, it's never an easy thing. Um, yeah. Especially here, you know, these are, you know, you know, refugees, immigrant kind of thing. And, uh, you know, even at this point, they're kind of responsible for it. It's, it's, yeah, it's just kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I just thought there were a lot of interesting parallels to, to current events and yeah, it has happened throughout history for sure, but it certainly does bring a point home. Um, with things that we see today, but I, I just, I really like seeing this, you know, how they're setting up the government system and, or, or getting a peek into it and, and how they run things and how there's this tension, this chancellor, you know, um, one misstep and he can be, you know, be thrown from his seat and it could go to the other guy. And it's just, I, I really love that. And as a side note, the chancellor is played by actor Jared Harris, which everyone should know by now. I've got a total, um, fangirl thing happening for Chernobyl, the series from HBO. Jared Harris was in Chernobyl and I, this man will never do any wrong ever in my book from now on because of Chernobyl. And I did not know he was in this. You know, I knew Orlando Bloom and Carol Devine um, were in it, and I did not know Jared Harris was in it. So when that came to that scene, when they're in like this parliament um, setting, and I see Jared Harris at the window, I just like squealed. <laughs> I was like, what? I was so excited. I was like, what a sweet surprise. It just, my face lit up and I'm like, dude, you just don't even know the joy that you just bring to my life. Um, you know, he's so amazing. Such a great actor, such a sweet surprise to see him in this series. I think he's, uh, going to be fantastic, uh, moving forward. But, um, yeah, I love how this is all set up and I feel that maybe some people were either, you know, I, I read some things online. People were like, I'm lost. I have no idea what's happening. I don't know what happened at all in this show. And I understand that. Cause you know, we don't have, this is an original material, you know, um, game of Thrones, you know, Lord of the Rings, things like that. They, there's book material, there's source material that, you know, if, if you just jumped into watching Lord of the Rings and, it can be sometimes for some people kind of hard to follow and confusing. Well, you can go online and or pick up a book and read the backstory. There's reference material to kind of fill that out. We don't have that for this. And so I understand why, you know, folks are probably confused, but I have a feeling that this is a show that even though that we've kind of just been plucked into the world, I feel like if you continue watching, you know, the next episode and then the next episode, it's all going to start coming together. You know, those puzzle pieces and those things that maybe didn't make sense in episode one, you know, um, by episode two or three, they're going to start making sense. So I just, I hope everyone kind of stays with it and gives a little bit of a chance, but, um, I I thoroughly enjoyed it so far, and um, I, I like seeing that political 
you know, um, the workings. And I didn't find it too hard to follow, at least that part of it. And like I said, I'm a total dum-dum when it comes to politics. So, um, but that was my number two. Like it. Uh, my number two is just Philo's secret. So uh, if you want to move on to what your number one is. Well, short and sweet, and we've already talked about him a little bit, is what the hell was that creature, beast, malevolent thing crawling out of the sewer? Because, um, again, they said, and it, I love how they kind of repeated that. We talked about that sailor. I don't even know. I'm just going to call him Jack because that's what he was called was Unsealy Jack, um, nicknamed by uh, the people um, in, in Carnival Row. Um, and he gives that little speech to Philo when they're on the roof, but then they kind of repeat it again. Uh And, um, when he tells them there are worse things than him out there lurking under the city, and then this thing comes out and is that something that traveled with them from the Tyrannoch or? Well, yeah. And it's, uh, so this is my number one too, too. Okay. Let's talk. Let's let's chat. Yeah. Let's chat. Because I, I kind of wonder if it's almost – I probably say this a lot because I love the ideas. It's almost like American gods type thing. So oh, yeah. you know, as as the Fae and as you know, all these creatures that come over, they've kind of brought their religion and their gods with them. And so in doing oh. that, it's given their gods and stuff an opportunity to kind of you know set up shop in the Berg. Uh, I always – I mean – you know, not spoiling anything for American gods, but that's kind of the idea behind American gods. You know, right. people start to worship these, you know, things like electricity and TV and cable and, and media from that, and yeah. media, and from that spawns these gods. So, uh, and it's 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 done in all kinds of you know literature and stuff like that. It's like you know when people stop worshiping or sacrificing to gods, they disappear and die because that's how they get their power. Right. So it would make sense that if people are starting to worship their things in other lands, that they'd be able to come with them. So oh, I, that I, is really good, Sean. Yeah. That's a light bulb moment for me. That's a yeah, really good theory. I'm hoping that's kind of what it is. So, and not that like all their religion that they're bringing over may be malicious, but it may be that, you know, obviously like in any kind of cultures, there are religions that are kind of darker and more creepy. And there's some that are, you know, not like that. So, you know, maybe that's what they're bringing over, or maybe it's one that's kind of, you know, being almost like a false prophet kind of thing. Like there's tons mm-hmm. of stuff you can play on with this. Like you said, it's original content. So I have no clue what it could be. Right. Yeah. I don't know either. I, it's for me at this point, it's all speculation, which is very little because all I know is this thing is, is killing people and it's killing, it seems fey folk, or at least in this, well, I guess the, the, and Sealy Jack was attacking people from the row because he just had zero respect for them. And he's like, you know, why does anybody even care? It's, you know, they, they don't belong here. Um, you know, and he just has zero regard for them at all and no respect for their life. Um, but this thing killed a fairy. And so I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It, it looked dark. It looked creepy. And it reminded me of freaking Pennywise coming up out of the damn sewer. Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't like that at all. It kind um, of reminded me of like a werewolf looking thing too. Yeah. I don't know. It, it didn't look good. So I'm interested, you know, I think it was interesting a little introduction, like you said earlier, that this Unsealy Jack wasn't the real villain. That this creature, whatever it is, um, is is the real creature. So um, I'm excited to see what happens next. 
Yeah, lots to come on this. So uh, I'm, I'm curious, what do you have for some notes then? Some notes. I don't have too much. You know, we didn't talk about the brother and sister. Um, you know, she she was something else. She Yo, was a high yes. maintenance girl for sure. Judgmental uh, some. And uh, he he was interesting as well. So um, their dynamic... I think as brother and sister, it was a, a little Lannister-like almost to me. <laughs> I got bit, a little, yeah. <laughs> did you get a little bit yeah. of that? <laughs> Just a little. That's kind um, of always in that era too. Like the families are always kind of weird. Cause I mean, even like, if you think about it, when there was Kings and Queens, like they were marrying their cousins to keep yeah. their bloodlines pure. So, of course. You know, like blood. they're very judgy, but because they're marrying cousins and stuff, like they all kind of have web feet. So they shouldn't be too judgy. <laughs> A second thumb, you know, yeah. six fingers. <laughs> uh, I did enjoy that. Like she's getting all spoofed up for the new neighbor who found, you know, who bought the like the house across the street that's right. super expensive, sight unseen. And then when he walks over, it's a puck or pack. I can't remember how they what they called him. She, they call them puck, which is a vulgar term for fawn. Those mm. are the goat-legged, horn-headed folk, or fawns. And apparently they are supposed to be, out of like all these mythical creatures, I, I again, I don't think we've seen all of them yet, but out of all the mythical creatures, they're supposed to be considered the lowest of the low. Ah, so this is a dude um, that started from the bottom and now he's here. Yeah, so I'm interested to hear this guy's story. Yeah. You know, how did he get to be from, you know, considered a lowest of the low creature and a very low status to being clearly very wealthy um and was and the person then, answering the door a human like i didn't i mean well, i know that yeah they, he looked human to me i mean i don't know we we see that when uh vignette is dressed in her her maid's uniform they strap her wings uh down they like in her corset they have like these special straps to keep her wings strapped down so i guess if the, they were fey that they could do that, but I have a feeling that they're all humans because what perfect situation would it be that he can have servants that are humans that it's, you know, instead of, because we see there was a nanny and then another maid in the house that vignette works in this, in, uh, as a servant in the, um, is it the spurn rose? Is that their names? Ezra and Imogen spurn rose. I could be mm, told. I know right. it's, I know it's, I know it's Imogen and Ezra, but I could be off. There are some really strange names. If you guys there look are, up yeah. the character names in IMDb or any other resource, there are some funky character names. So I'm going to struggle this season and y'all might be laughing your asses off by the end hearing, trying to hear me pronounce these names. Just, but I know just it's, go with our new slogan. Nicknames are coming. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're just going to make it up as we go and you're just going to figure it out. Um, but anyway, Ezra and Imogen, I know, are the brother and sister. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, that they have these uh, fey folk and mythical creatures as their servants. And that seems to be how it typically goes is that's the jobs that they get for indentured servitude or else just basically because they don't have people don't have like a lot of respect for them. So they have like the lowliest jobs. I think it's interesting that this creature who's considered the lowliest of the low has humans as servants. Now maybe he pays them. He, he probably pays them and actually employs them. And it's not some type of, you know, indentured servitude um, like is common with people of his kind. But um, so I, yeah, I think they were human and I find that really interesting. 
I, I want to hear more about his story and the looks on their faces when he's like, you know, I'm the master here um, was really great. And that actress who plays Imogen, this is interesting. I found her name's Tamsin Merchant. I'm probably butchering that name as well. I'm sorry. She was the original Daenerys Targaryen oh, in Game of Thrones. She was actually cast as Daenerys. I think, and someone's probably going to correct me because it's been a while since I read this. I believe she even shot the pilot as oh. Daenerys. And it was either the showrunners or George R.R. R. Martin, but somebody anyway watched the pilot and they were like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying it was her that did it, but they watched the pilot, were not happy with it. They did lots of recasting. They recast Daenerys and I'm sure recast other characters as well, reshot the pilot, and that's the pilot that we that we ended up with that you see today in Game of Thrones. Um, but I thought it was interesting because a lot of people uh, people, critics, I don't know, people out there in the internet world were trying to compare this show to Game of Thrones. And uh, look, I don't see how you could do that. Yeah. I don't I don't see this as as a Game of Thrones show. I know that's what they were trying to do. And that's kind of like what people are looking for. Okay, Game of Thrones is over. What do we do now? You know, what show is going to replace it? Um, this show is, is good. I, I don't know if it's there yet or anything, but it's just not, to me, Game of Thrones. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting. I'm like, oh, here's all these people or critics out in the internet world trying to mock this as like a, a you know, a Game of Thrones wannabe. And here you've got this character who was cast as the original Daenerys Targaryen in this show. Just thought that was a funny little um, quinky dink. But anyway, um, that is all of my notes. I, that's, I think we've talked about everything else out as far as what I had. Uh, so see. what the, have you got? The notes I kind of have is uh, we found that the chancellor has a pet bear, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Uh, apparently his drunken son likes to visit Carnival Row and he uh, was kidnapped on Carnival oh, Row. Right. Good. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. How did I overlook that? I feel like that's definitely something. I have a feeling the chan- I, I could be wrong. I'm just speculating the chancellor's rival probably has something to do with that. Mm. Uh, yeah, I would expect so. Mm-hmm. Um, did I catch this right? Cause when, uh, when the police chief was talking to Philo, he said something about going a little Eden. Did I catch that right? They were talking about, uh, experiencing. I, don't think, I, I think I missed that. What were they referencing? Uh, when they were talking about fighting overseas and with the pact, and mm-hmm. he was talking about how, like, oh, he wouldn't blame him for, you know, getting it on <gasps> with a, a fairy. I oh. thought he called it going a little Eden. I need to rewatch it to see, but I felt that was kind of a – that's probably a common term. I've just never heard it before. I don't think I've ever heard that term. Uh, I need to go back and rewatch that. I And I even rewatched it the second time. The second time watching it, I – look, I've told people before, especially when I'm having to podcast on a show – um, I will often watch the second watch with closed caption on. It's not mm. typically how I watch my shows, but when I'm podcasting, I do. And especially in a show like this with these crazy accents, sometimes I'm like, I don't understand a flipping word you're saying. And without that, I wouldn't understand anything. So just saying, folks, that helped. Um, I even watched it with closed captioning, and I guess I totally missed that. Maybe I was taking notes at that time and missed it. Um, I'll have to double back and see. Um, but the last is Went to th- Eden. That's, I need to Google that. What's the your last, last thing I'll add is uh, I felt like everybody can relate to this. You come back from a long day of work, you take off your pants or you take off your bra and like it's just freeing. <laughs> when she undid that corset and stretched out those wings, like I think everybody's like, oh, yes, oh. I understand that feeling. 
That is exactly the equivalent of coming home and taking off that damn underwire bra. <laughs> there is no better feeling than taking that thing off and slinging it across the room. Like, oh, freedom. The girls can breathe. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, that was probably a really great feeling. Well, and being strapped into a corset doesn't seem very mm, fun to yeah. me anyway. And then strapping your wings down at the same time. Yeah, that kind of sucks big time. Great but, notes. Yeah, those are my notes. I like it. I'm excited. I, you know, I think this was a, a, a pretty good start um, to this show, and I'm excited to see what happens next. So, with that being said, I do have one little news item from the Hollywood Reporter. So, at Comic Con, um, a lot of the cast members and some of the, um, like the showrunner and executive producer. So, Travis Beecham, Orlando Bloom, and Carol Delvine were at the Comic Con panel. Travis Beecham is um, an executive producer, and he's also the one that adapted the series from a script that he wrote. So, he wrote the script years and years ago, um, and they brought him on to help adapt the series from that script. So, he says, um, when they're talking about the show, he says, it's a kind of fantasy noir series that takes place in a neo-Victorian world and follows, among other things, a detective played by Orlando Bloom following a series of mysterious murders and also an immigrant from distant shores played by Cara Delvine, who is a fairy. Um, Orlando Bloom described his experience as stepping into the wild, p- wildest parts of your imagination and having it realized before your very eyes. And he also acknowledged his Lord of the Rings past when he says, I love a fantasy, as some of you may know. He jokes. <laughs> um, he says, I really felt like I hadn't seen this world before, and I was just amazed at the detail and the richness of the characters. He says his character was, in quotes, a fun way for me to explore my shadow self a little bit because he's a man of secrets. Um, Cara Delvine, meanwhile, described her character as a fighter of love and a warrior, and she was impressed by the set design um, that the crew created on the Prague set. So this set is in Prague. I think that's oh, wow. a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. city. Um, I would love to visit there one day. And she said you could walk around this whole city and pick up all the little trinkets. She said everything was so realized, the prosthetics, it was really like being in your own fantasy world. Um and then Mark Guggenheim then says, part of that world is a discussion about racism and sexism, classism and spiritualism. And we kind of cover it all. And we look at all the different ways that you can differentiate the people and creatures in society and makes for a very layered and complex show. So I like that. Yeah. As in, Prague is very much like you think of a very old city too. So it kind of makes sense to totally. use that. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I like it. There was lots of good articles. I have to be careful, though, because like Netflix tends to do, um, Amazon did uh, release all episodes. So, you know, uh, trying to be careful of, you know, reading into spoilers. And I will say, interestingly enough, I read this just before the show was released that when they were talking about the show at Comic-Con and it kind of caught um, both of our attention and you were talking to me about it. And so I was looking it up. Before this was even released, because this was released, what, a week ago? Yeah. Um, So before the show was even released a week ago, they already were filming season two. It had already been renewed, and they were already filming season two. So that says a little something to me that somebody's got some real faith in the show that they haven't even released it. They haven't even been able to tell who's watching it. What kind of audience is it getting? Is it getting recognition that they've already um, not only renewed it, but they were already filming um, 
or, you know, getting ready to film anyway and renewed it um, before well, it was even released. That's interesting so. to talk about kind of like these binge-worthy shows and stuff too. I think I read somewhere that uh, Netflix is going to start kind of holding back and go with the Hulu model mm-hmm. because Disney Plus has released that. That's how they're going to do it. They're going to do more of a week-to-week release. So I Rima, think they're going to play with that, yeah. Yeah, our, <laughs> we've basically set the table for it. They're like, listen, Strange Indeed does it, and if the biggest – streaming podcast out there does it maybe we should all kind of take a note and do it as well i think so i think they have listened to us to say let's pull the reins back just a little bit folks and let's enjoy these shows there are some shows i think that are i know it's tough people we watch stranger things and other shows from week to week and it's hard not to Mm -hmm. keep going but i'm gonna tell you what it's with shows like that it's so worth it like there are some shows that is is best to take that week to digest it so you can listen to that podcast you can go talk to your friends about it or get online and talk to your friends about it lost Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad. Those are just a a quick pick handful of shows that were my favorites um, that as much as I wanted to know, like the show ended and screen went black and you're like, no, and you had to wait to the next week to find out what happened. Listen, you didn't have a choice. It wasn't on Netflix. It was live on TV, especially with Lost. God, Lost did it to me every freaking week. Um, (laughs) And and that was tough because that was before I knew what a podcast was. Um, I was still like, didn't know what the frig internet was. But anyway, that was a show that you had to chew on for a little while. You didn't just swallow that shit. You chewed on it for a while and then digested it. Um, but anyway, I think there are some shows that should be week to week and then others, if they want to release them all, I think that's totally fine too. Like the easy stuff you don't need a brain for. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, we're setting, we're setting the tone here at Strange Indeed. That is what we do. Um, so we have some letters from the row, our listener feedback portion. We got some really great feedback. I am so stoked that we've got some folks excited about the show or at least excited enough to at least watch the first episode. <laughs> Hopefully they stick with us for the rest of it. You want to take that first one, Sean? Yep. So our first one comes from Laura Willie Swink. So I'm hoping to warm up to it. As someone who loves all the old lore of the phase, I was not instantly captivated. It kind of felt like Victorian NCIS with supernatural creatures who aren't as magical as I'd hoped with from the summary of the show. They're obviously set up to be the other in The Outsiders, and the moral of the show is a bit heavy-handed. I hope they work more with the actual myth and the world building. I did like the final confrontation with Philo and his suspect and the ominous mention of some dark god and the beast in the sewer. I'll keep watching for that. That and Kara's super cute 90s pixie haircut. Yeah. That's great. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, that's a great haircut on her. Cannot pull that off myself. Frank and Maria says, I always enjoyed watching Orlando, and I'm excited to see where his character's story takes us along with his co-star, Kara. Wow, a fairy orgasm is fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we didn't talk about this levitation scene, did we? Um, It wasn't lost on me. I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to leave that there. (laughs) Anyway... Uh, Franka continues, loved how this was visually portrayed. The whole episode had a throwback uh, grimy feel to it. The opening scenes of the fairies caught in the trees due to the wire cages was an interesting strategy taken to prevent them from flying away to escape. I agree. So for Anwen, I loved it so much. My dear Orlando taking a leaf from the Sean Bean school of the thinking woman's bit of rough. 
<laughs> cool to see a couple of Game of Thrones actors in there. I think Cara Devine is outstanding. Perfectly cast. Great chemistry with Orlando. I like that they didn't meet up until near the end. I love the steampunk Victorian feel combined with the world of Fae. The derogatory names are interesting. Picks and Puck. Can't wait for more. Same. Sally Lynch Mock says, I decided to watch episode one week at a time. There was a lot to take in, and I'm anxious to hear you discuss this show. Hey, we got a week to week watcher. Thanks, Sally. Lindsay Slitch says, It was weird and hard to follow at times. Closed caption is a must, but also intriguing. I like how there's parallels to our current immigration climate. Was excited to see Ellery Sand. Glad you guys are covering this one because I think it's going to be a challenging one. Oh my gosh, did I miss Ilaria Sand in there? Where was she at? Oh gosh, now I gotta go back. (laughs) (sighs) Thanks, Lindsay, and thanks for pointing that out to me. Um, Next one's from Doug Fick, another good friend. He says, first off, allow me to congratulate Sean and Rima on their 100th episode of Strange Indeed. Thanks, Doug. Um, Thanks. He goes on, I have been here since almost the onset when Sean's son was an infant and Sean made his first Ninja Turtle reference. <laughs> now, I think his son is off to college. Where's the time gone? And oh, I Raymond, know, right? He's three going on 30. <laughs> I know. Yeah, right. Exactly. Attitude, I'm sure, to match. Um, and Rima Joe was just a wide-eyed podcaster with a dream. Now she's retired in Boca after her much-publicized breakup with David Harbour. <laughs> Oh, well, did we break up? Uh, yeah, we it were, was in the news. We were so young then. Anyway, congrats on number 100, and here's to many more. Cheers. And now on to the show. Um, I deliberately did not do any prep for this show and went in with no idea what it was about. An interesting choice and a bit of a departure from our usual type of show. However, I feel it will be another triumph. Great production values, acting, and star power. The cold open was quite suspenseful, especially when you don't know what to expect. Episode 1 gave a Harry Potter meets Jack the Ripper meets Sherlock Holmes meets Stranger Things with some tasteful nudity vibe. The storyline is clearly has a commentary on present-day issues with racism, immigration, class distinctions, and economic stress with what I'm guessing a serial murder monster mystery. I do hope all the overt references to today's issues die down or it may get tedious to be hit over the head with for the remainder of the series. However, after episode one, I'm intrigued and ready to dive in headfirst. I almost waited the five seconds for episode two to start, but we'll follow along with all y'alls. I protect... Predict the scars on Rycroft's back were from removed pixie wings. Looks like another great choice from our fearless leaders. Ah, thanks, Doug. Oh, thanks, Doug. Uh, Josh Mull, meh. Oh, bummer. <laughs> Listen to the podcast, Josh, and let us know if we turn you around. Um, Peg Allen says, I enjoyed the first episode enough. It looks very promising. I'm going to go week to week with you on this one. It's a little slow, but the good stuff is very good. Definitely on board enough to watch the next episode when the time comes. Hopefully, it will get even better and fully hooks me. I hope so, Paik. Maria, Aranz- Maria Aranzo Lawson. So, a lot to take in for the first episode, but I'm excited to see more. I'm so glad you posted that article before I watched because it helped me get into the world and quickly understand what was going on. Oh, I'm glad, Maria. Yeah, I saw this article for folks who didn't know, or maybe if you're not going on our social media pages, um, you'll find it on our Twitter and Facebook page. There was an article posted, and I can't remember the source, but it's there, um, that kind of gave a little bit of a backstory um, and kind of helped you untangle some of the happenings and who people are and things like that. It kind of just 
you know, kind of brought some things to light. And I think um, it helped me too, um, whenever I read it. So go find that on our Facebook or Twitter. Thank you, Maria. So we have a couple emails. First one we have says, hi, Raymond, Sean. So this is another one of those shows I didn't know if I was going to watch and you guys covering it made my decision for me. Oh, see, Damn. look at the power we have, Rima. I promise I'll use it for good. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Um, anyway, well, that and the fabulous Orlando Bloom. Okay, so we didn't get all the credit here. Orlando Bloom got some credit. I can live with that because I'm totally on board. Anyway, um, she goes on and he's fabulous in this. The cinematography is beautiful. Makeup and special effects are well done. The story has drawn me in and I look forward to seeing where it goes. I'm grateful that you guys posted that article about the show beforehand. <laughs> it helped get some of the characters and places straight so that I I could focus on the action. Here's to another fun show journey, Jenny. You're so welcome, Jenny. I'm glad that article helped. If again, guys, when we post it again or go find it on our Facebook page um, or I'll put it here, um, reference it here on our next show in the show notes or something. Um, it helped um, a lot. So thank you, Jenny, for that great email. Thank you for those kind words. Yeah, I can make sure to try and put it in the show notes for this episode. So check there. And if it's not there, uh, you can holler at me and we can get it to you. Our next email says, Hi, Raymond Sean. Glad you're covering Carnival Row. Here are my thoughts on episode one. When the Fae were being hunted down by the pact, I think the writers had them run on foot just to move the story. Why didn't they all fly in different directions? Some of them could have made it onto the boat to avoid the vicious animal dogs are getting shot. I think that's like what you said. They had like barbed wire cages uh, above right. the tree line. Because I kind of missed that until you mentioned it. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Getting to the ship didn't matter as something other than the storm sank the deliverance and killed everyone but Vignette. Storm water can't punch holes in the hull of a boat. Ooh, good call. Hmm. Philo allowing Vignette to grieve for seven years is unforgivable. That is the only thing I dislike about his character. He has a lot to make up before I begin to like him again. Mm-hmm. The, the aristocrat's sister, Imogen. Imogen? Imogen. Oh, Imogen? Call her emo. Because that's good <laughs> <pizza>. <laughs> cares more for social status than marrying a fawn creature. I love the look on her face when she saw the most expensive house on the block was owned by a fawn. Mm-hmm. The woman that Vignette bumped into at Carnival Row is the same woman that found the flute and the photo of Philo and was taken by something. I think she's still alive and those items will come into future place somehow. Can't wait to see how all this pans out, Darnell. Oh. That's a good catch. Thank you, Darnell. That was great. Uh-oh. All right, so we've got one voicemail tonight, and that is from our good friend, Steve Brown. Hello, Sean and Rima. This is Steve, and this is for Carnival Row, Episode 1, Some Dark God Wakes, uh, Top Fives, The Pact. This is an interesting political, The Pact, and the Berg. I guess, uh, you know, the story's not about the pact or what's happening on and on. The story's called Carnival Row. So we probably won't learn much about the pact, if anything at all. But I thought it was an interesting little bit we got there at the beginning. And I thought at first, I thought maybe it was going to be more episodic than serialized. And maybe it still will be. It seems like he, he might get like one case of, of an episode. And then there'll also be the overarching theme of everything else. But But we'll see. And what was his partner doing in the bar? So I watched this twice, and I'm still, con- I'm still like, I don't know what the guy did. He 
Philo sees a suspect. He staggers over there, pretending that he's drunk. His partner's at the end of the bar. The guy hits Philo with a bottle, runs out of the bar, hits Philo with a second bottle, and then his partner appears from somewhere. What, did his partner go take a piss while Philo was confronting <laughs> the suspect? I don't know. It just seems weird. And then Philo's like, go run around back in the back of the neighborhood and catch up with him. I love they did not go with the trope of the whole, I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead. And then they kiss. And then Knights in White Satin plays. And they fall in love again. No. He lied to her uh, about – he told someone to lie to her about him being dead, and she spent seven years mourning him. Come on. Um, finally, uh, a rich – I loved the scene where the sister is talking to uh, Vignette, and she says uh, something about a puck living here in Finister Crossing. I can't wait to see how this uh, – part of the episode this part of the the show turns out it's uh, got a very moving on up feeling to the east side so can't wait to hear what you guys thought talk to you later ah thanks for the message steve that was great (laughs) that was great oh that made me giggle thank you steve thank you everyone i know that there were some mixed feelings i hope that everyone um give us it an, uh, you know keep watching give it a little bit more time if it doesn't sit well with you you know hey that's fine um but i hope that you guys stick it out just a little bit with us and kind of see where this story goes uh, i think they're really building up to something really interesting here so i'm excited so thank you all so much for contributing i hope to hear from you guys next week as well yeah thanks everybody for listening we like i said Stranger, stranger things. We got tons of feedback. I'm glad to see that people are kind of checking out this episode with us. So, yes. strange and eaters, you're always keeping our our morale up and keeping us excited. So, you know, keep sending us that feedback. We love it. Yes, it warms my cold, cold heart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, next week we'll be covering the second and third episode from Carnival Row. Uh, the second episode is titled Aceling, and the third episode is titled Kingdoms of the Moon. Yes, just a side note, FYI, guys, we, like Sean said, we're going to be covering episodes two and three. We're going to be doubling up on some of these episodes of Carnival Row. That was not our original intention until, hmm, there was an announcement last week, Sean, that a show was coming back right around the end of October, around Halloween time. And that show is (gasps) season two of Castle... Yeah, Rock. so we want to be prepared for that and get this show in as well. So yeah. I'm excited. I'm super excited for Castle Rock, but you know we, we I, you know we can't abandon Carnival Row. We're we're committed, but also due to time, we want to get onto Castle Rock when it starts. We don't want to have to wait uh, weeks out of of Castle Rock and be able to cover it. So we're going to jump in hopefully when it starts. So yes, we are going to be doubling up a little bit. I'll be sure to post that for everyone, um, for the folks that do um, follow our social media that we'll be doing that as well. So be prepared for um, episodes two and three next week. And we are so excited for you to travel to the Berg with us. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Strange TCast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash StrangerTCast and on Instagram at strange underscore indeed underscore pod. You can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com and you can also find us on the TV Time app.
You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts at podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed on Apple Podcast. Five stars, please. Yeah. And <laughs> make sure to check out Sean and his other podcast, The Language of Bromance, that comes out every Sunday. Sean, what can we expect from you guys this week? Oh, it's got to be something good. It's got to be something fun. We are doing a... What episode is it? It is our superhero pitch movie episode. So we do these kind of LB oh, movie pitches. Yeah. So this one is going to be our superhero pitch. So we'll kind of, you know, like you're in the, the writing room, kind of pitching some ideas for what our superhero movies would be. So that it's a lot of fun to do those. Oh, man, that sounds like super fun. Uh, yep. hey. And also, I want to thank a couple of strange indeeders like Wendy. They've jumped on our Patreon for Language of Bromance and <gasps> kind of jumped on the listing for that. So thank nice. you guys very, very much for doing that. It helps out, uh, you know, a little bit here or there helps out a ton. Got some good folks, man. That's awesome. All right. Well, that's our show. Episode one on one, 101, Some Dark God Awakes. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And Sally Lynch Mock is strange indeed.